Over the last, over the last four weeks, we've been covering Christmas playlist and looking at songs that are symbolic of the Christmas story. Today, as we address Christmas morning, here in two days, we recognize that it could be a white Christmas for many of us in this room. Some of us know Jesus Christ personally. Some of us are on that journey. Some of us think we know the Lord. And there's this beautiful picture in Scripture that once we confess our sins, once we trust in Jesus, that he can make our hearts as white as snow. And the reality is you're always impacted by a testimony. And there's a testimony that's familiar in our ranks and familiar in our church because this man was one of our own who thought he was saved, who had lived most of his life banking on a variety of things, but never truly trusted in Christ until a pivotal moment in his life when he brought Jesus home. And for the first Christmas ever in his life, up to that point, he went home and he celebrated the birth of Jesus differently. My hope today is this, for those in this room. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, that this would be the day that you know him personally. If some of you think you do, but really don't, that this would be the day that you trust in him. And for some who've never heard of Jesus, he can make your Christmas as white as it's ever been. Take a look at this testimony here. My name is Dave Alcorn, and this is my story. On October 7th, 2012, a totally unexpected event occurred in my life. It was unexpected from my perspective, but definitely not from God's. That day will always be a memorial to God's patience, his infinite love and mercy, and his relentless pursuit of a stubborn heart. During that Sunday, God led me to repent of my sin. He saved me. I accepted what, what Christ did on the cross for me personally. I was no longer playing games. I was, I was a child of God. This was unexpected because for almost 40 years, I had been faking a relationship with Jesus Christ. From all outward appearances, I was a believer. I behaved like a Christian did. I said the words that a Christian is supposed to say. I truly believed I was born again. My heart was that blinded and hard. I was even raised in a Christian home. I made a profession of faith when I was in second grade during Sunday school. During my elementary and high school years, though, I would have frequent struggles with assurance of my salvation. But I was always able to shrug it off pretty easily. I would go through a mental checklist. Yes, I know I'm a sinner. Yes, my sin is condemning me to hell. Yes, Jesus died in my place to pay for my sins. Yes, I accepted Christ into my heart. So I'm fine. I'm saved. Those struggles became less and less frequent. And looking back, it's because my heart was getting harder and harder. My dad was on the faculty at Grace College in Winter Lake, Indiana, so it seemed natural that I would go there for my studies. I started out as a pre-med, pre-pharmacy major, but at the end of my freshman year, I felt called to switch my major to biblical studies, thinking I would end up on the mission field somewhere. Shortly after graduation, Anita and I got married, and we both felt that God wanted us to serve Him in, in four missions. So I enrolled in Grace Seminary and got my master's degree. We were appointed by a mission board to head to Norway. We tried raising support for four years. God ended that by me making some very sinful decisions. Looking back, it's because I wasn't a believer. In reality, how can you tell somebody about Jesus and plant churches if you don't know Jesus personally yourself? 
all that Christian activity I was engaged in was, was just empty. I, I was just going through the motions. I settled into a career in the business world, but kept on playing church, teaching Sunday school, being a leader in our local church, just going through the routines of Christianity. I am so thankful for my wife and her spiritual sensitivity. You see, I was content at our other church, but Anita wasn't. She felt God led her to say to me, hey, let's go hear Jim preach. So Easter 2009 was our first service at Grace Community Church. God knew he wanted me in a different environment where he could continue his pursuit of my rebellious heart. Once we became regular attendees here, we became quickly involved. We volunteered in Kid City, we joined a small group, we were involved in blitzes, I even joined the church. I'm still amazed at how deceived I was that I was able to present a believable testimony. Even now I feel bad about lying to Pastor Jeremiah since he was the one who interviewed us as part of the membership process. The emphasis on men's ministry here at Grace, I believe, is one reason God brought us here. God's used many men here to chip away at my hard heart, both by the words that they say and, more importantly, the way they live out their faith. Fast forward to fall of 2012. In the weeks leading up to October 7th, I decided that I wanted to do Fight Club. I needed spiritual and physical discipline in my life, and Fight Club was a way to make that change. Little did I know that God had a much bigger change in mind. Well, that first week in October was also the Wild at Heart Men's Retreat in Maryland. And at first I didn't think I was gonna be able to go, but some circumstances changed the last minute and I was able to sign up before the, the cutoff. The key conversations occurred in our travel back and forth, sitting in a car for eight, nine, 10 hours, listening to people tell what God has done in their life. I distinctly remember hearing one guy share how he became a Christian just a few years earlier and it just dawned on me, it's like, I've gone through my life knowing these things, but I've never experienced that freedom. Pastor Jeremy was in our car and he just happened to read the passage from Matthew that Jim was gonna preach on the next Sunday, the next day actually. Those words just echoed in my head. And I know that night the Spirit was using the Word of God to convict my heart. That morning when I woke up, I just knew that something was gonna happen that day. I had no idea what, but by the time I got to the service and the service started, I could just, you know, those walls of, of self-deception, those walls of my doubts, I mean, everything just came crashing down. I'm usually a pretty good note taker, but that morning, it was just very short. I had a few paragraphs and then a couple of sentences. By the middle of the sermon, you know, I was ready. It was time to make a change, so I couldn't wait for Jim to stop the, the message and open up the, the floor for the invitation. I was up front, I was before God. He gave me the, the gift of faith that led to repentance. I confessed my sins. I accepted what Christ did on, on the cross for me. And for the first time in my life, I can truly celebrate Christmas. Part of our family's Christmas tradition, we would always read the Christmas story. Until this year, even though it's been a beautiful story and is a beautiful story, they were just empty words. But this year, I can truly celebrate the birth of my Savior because I have made the choice to bring Jesus home. Powerful story. My wife, Ann, and I personally knew uh, Dave and Anita before they came to Grace uh, when we were students at 
uh, Grace College. We attended Fellowship Baptist Church in, in Warsaw, and uh, we worked with the youth, and Dave was an elder that served in the church uh, in Fellowship Baptist. And by every means of imagination, you would have you thought he knew Christ. And the truth is this, some of you in this room think that you know Christ. Some of you in this room are going through the motions and you even come out for Christmas service and you come and you sit in these seats week after week after week after week. But you've never had the life-changing power of Jesus Christ and dwell your heart personally. And you go through the motions. All these external things are going on. You're checking off your list. You're involved in blitzes. And maybe you're serving. And maybe you even have a Grace Blue Crew shirt. And the reality is this. Until you truly, genuinely submit, surrender, and repent of your sin and make Jesus Lord and Savior, then you'll be like many on that day when Jesus said, many will say, but Lord, 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 Lord. I knew you. No, 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 no. You didn't know me. You pretended like you did, and you were involved in the church, and you were going through motions. My hope is this for those that are seated today. That today, that the scales would come off of your eyes, and you would truly trust in Jesus Christ personally. And that you wouldn't be trying to earn your way there. Doing, becoming, and recognizing it's surrendering and fully receiving the grace that Christ offers. Some of you in the room today are here because someone invited you or, and we're glad that you're here. Or you're, you're, you, you're not as regular. And maybe you're thinking too today, do I really know Jesus? Like I know there's a God, but do I know him personally? And if you're in that camp and you're in that, that thought or thinking, please hear me today. There's a battle for your soul too. The enemy wants to deceive you. He wants to make you believe that you're okay. But the reality is, unless you truly repented of your sin and confess Jesus as Lord, on that day when you pass, you won't spend your eternity with Jesus. So my hope is this, that every single person in this room, it would break my heart, and I'm just being very honest, for me to stand before Jesus one day and to know that some of you have come week after week after week, Christmas after Christmas after Christmas, and you never truly trusted in Jesus. And you served and you were part of the church, but you never fully comprehended that it's all by grace, not by works. And it's a free gift. So I ask you to do something for me. I ask you maybe for the first time in a while or maybe the first time in a couple weeks, not be distracted by your phones, not be distracted by those around you. Just allow God and you to have this conversation throughout the message. And if you feel that tug at your heart at the end of the message, hear me out. Respond to it. Don't just sit here today. And the other reality is this. You've never done too much wrong. You've never done too many sins for God to save you from those. Christmas is a story about a God that loved us so much that he sent his son. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you what I mean. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. Please, everyone turn there. If you have a mobile device, turn there. Like, this is your chance to look at the Christmas story. And if you need a Bible and you're here today and you don't have a Bible, hold your hand high. We'll put one in your hand. But turn to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to read out loud verses 18 to 25. Matthew 1, 
verses 18 to 25. Would you stand with me as we read this? And read it as if this is the first time you read it. It's a powerful, powerful story of God becoming man and coming to us. Let's read verses, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Would you read with me? Ready, read. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had appeared, consider this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. May I have a seat? God saw our need and that we needed a remedy. He sent his son Jesus. He looked at the condition of the earth. And he knew that we couldn't save ourselves. You see, there is nothing that you and I can ever do to reach a holy God. It's impossible. You could work your your, your, your life trying to become good. You could do all the good deeds. There is nothing that we can do because we have a sinful heart to ever, ever get to a holy, blameless God. It's impossible. It's impossible. Listen to me. It's impossible. It is impossible to do enough good to ever get to God because of our sin that's in our lives. And so the reality is we, we need a blameless, spotless sacrifice. We need something to step between us and God. Enter Jesus at Christmas. You see, a virgin birth was needed. If he was born of natural parents like all human beings, then he would have been born a sinner and he would have needed a savior himself. So God, listen, God had to be born to a virgin and conceived by the Holy Spirit. If it would have been a woman and a man, it would have been impossible for for God to be conceived through that because both have sin. It's impossible to see a holy God be born where the Spirit doesn't conceive with the virgin mother. It's critical, this statement is critical too, because The reality is Matthew is telling this story. Now, Matthew, if you're not certain, he was one of the 12 that walked with Jesus. This is important because when Jesus was on earth, Matthew was on earth. When Jesus was doing his miracles, Matthew was with him. When Jesus was doing his ministry in in his early 30s, Matthew saw it. Matthew was by his side. So it wasn't as if this was news that he received. He saw it firsthand. He was with Jesus. And the reality is even Matthew would die later of a death because he refused to deny Christ. Why would you die unless you knew that Jesus was the Messiah? He literally gave his life. And you might say, well, Jim, that's all in the Bible. Do you have any extra biblical source? Like, you believe that. I don't believe the Bible. Like, I'm not a follower of Christ. I think it's a good book. 
but I need another source. Well, let me give you another source. Josephus, who was a historian, a contemporary, that meant he walked on earth when Jesus walked on earth. Josephus has history books. You have history books and classes. And if you open up Josephus' history book, and you turn to his description of Jesus, this was written by Josephus. This is what Josephus said about Jesus. He said this, At this time there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Many people among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets had reported wonders and the tribe of Christians so named after him had not disappeared until this day. And so he reported what he had heard and what he had known being a contemporary of Jesus. You know, why would he even write that? Why would he even give any kind of honor to Jesus unless he was a first-hand witness of those who followed Christ? And so even from history, the foundational truth is this. This is important. God became man. And so you might ask the question, how can God ever become man? How can, how can Jesus be fully God and fully man? How is that possible? Jesus was here before he got here at Christmas. Now, that is just be quite honest, blows my mind. And only God could, could ever, ever come up with something like this. Think about that. Before Jesus was born at Christmas, he was already here from the foundation of the world. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He has no beginning. He has no end. But he inserted himself at Christmas, conceived by his virgin mom and the Holy Spirit, and he left heaven and he indwelt earth and became flesh and blood. So say, how do you know that, Pastor Jim? Come on, that's like, okay, let me show you. Open your Bibles, turn over to the book of John. Please turn there. If you have a mobile device, turn on your own mobile device. Highlight this. John chapter 1. This was John, who also was a contemporary of Jesus. He was one of the disciples that Jesus referred to as, uh, as one of his beloved, one that he loved. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the what? What's the word? Word. And the word was with God, and the word was what? God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things are made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. It's very important to look at the, the original language. Sometimes it gives, shows us things that the English doesn't. I want you to look again at verse 1. It says, in the beginning. If you were to look in the Greek, English majors or English people who understand English would understand this better than, than I do. But I understand it because I understand some English. If you were to pull this out and look in the original, it would say this. In beginning. Because the word the is an indefinite article in the original language. Which means there's not... The definite article. A definite article says there would be a beginning time. 
So it would say the beginning. But because it's an indefinite article, there isn't a beginning point to beginning. So to help us understand English, we use an indefinite article. And the indefinite article says in the beginning. But if you were to translate this literally, it would be this. In beginning. We don't know when the beginning was. God was here. Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Let me show you just the opposite how it happens. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Please, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Here's another example of a beginning time. Genesis 1 and verse 1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Now, if you were to look at this in the Hebrew, it would have a definite article. And so it would mean, in the beginning, a point of time, God created. If you look in Genesis 1.26, when we say the word we, it's the three in one. Third masculine plural. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created. And there is a beginning time. So pull away. Make this simple. God was here in beginning before the beginning was created. (laughs) Come on. That's awesome. Who could ever think about something like that and create a plan like that? Only God could. And so the reality is that he was God before his virgin birth. He was here before his virgin birth. Paul, Paul, Paul jumps on it. He was an incredible, smart man. Look at Colossians chapter 1. He tries to describe this too, this, this, this incredible God-man. In Colossians chapter 1, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and and, and look at verse 15 through 18. Please turn there. Colossians 1, 15 to 18. says this. The Son, who is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, how many things were created? What's it say? All things. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. How many things, what's it say? All things have been created through him and what? For him. He is before how many things? All things. And in him, what holds together? All things. He was here before his virgin birth. This is one of the clearest statements about Jesus in the Bible. Jesus is eternal. There's no beginning and no end for him. He is not a created being. He is fully God and fully man. So you might ask, then Pastor Jim, how can a fully man and a fully God form something that's sinless? How is that even possible? How is it possible for someone to be fully God and fully man and to be a perfect, blameless sacrifice? Let me explain to you. Dave, could you come up on stage, please? I want to demonstrate something. For for sake of illustration, I want you to take a look. This represents man, for sake of illustration. Just say this. And, and, And we would say this, that because this is man, can this man bend or break? Can, can you bend this, Dave? Can, can you bend that? How, can you, there's a couple places you can bend it. Like it's, it's pretty easy because it's man. Like man is bendable. Man, man breaks. Man sins. So how can God be fully man and not sin? Like how is that possible? Well, let me demonstrate. Let's just bring God into the. This is God, okay? Now, for, for illustration, this is God. Now, Dave, can, can God be bent? 
Give it your best, Dave. Come on, give it your best. Like, it's impossible for, you can't break or bend God. Thanks, Dave, you can have a seat. You can't break or bend God. So, he's fully man and fully God. But still, Pastor Jim, how can fully man and fully God not sin? Because he was the God man. And when you put the God man, the man with God, and you put him as one you're getting it, aren't you? And when God is fully man and fully God together, guess what? You can't sin. It can't be bent. And there was only one person to ever live that was fully God and fully man. And his name was what? Jesus. And because he was conceived to a woman and still God... He became the God-man, incapable, I would say, impeccable. He could not sin, but he was tempted in every way just as we are. Now listen, that's who came on Christmas morning. That is who is the Savior of the world because No man could ever save himself because he's sinful. We have a sinless God that came for us. And his name is what? Jesus. Praise God for that. And so this birth, this God holds the earth together. And even though our lives can be out of control, and even though we can't get to God, a perfect sacrifice had to come. Blameless in every way. And his name is Jesus. You see, just because it feels like life is a total wreck and spinning out of control for you, always remember, God is in complete control. Still, What kind of God, what kind of father would ever send his son to earth to die for us? Father God did. We've been blessed to have our younger son home with us as a college child. And those of you who have parents who are in college, when they come home, it's fun. Like, because you miss them throughout the year. And and Isaiah's been home with us at Christmas break. We absolutely love having him around. And so we've had the privilege, Ann's had some, lots of one-on-one time, and I've had some one-on-one time, we've had some collective time, and, and he and I were going to watch a basketball game too, actually, this week, watch Fairfield play twice, and, and I remember as I'm driving to this game, I just looked to the corner of my eye, because I was thinking about this message. I was thinking, man, I, I love Isaiah. He's such a good son. So is our son Josh, who's working in the tech booth. And, but, but Isaiah was with us, and, and I was thinking, I couldn't. I couldn't give up my son and have him die on a tree or a cross. Couldn't do it. But our God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to be conceived to a virgin woman, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, and come to earth not only to be born, but to die for people who would reject him, deny him, curse him, spit on him, turn their backs on him, run away from him. Why? Because he loves us. You see, the question is, so then 
when Joseph got this information, have you ever thought about it? Like, why did he believe? Why did Joseph not divorce his wife? Why, why, did, he, why, did, he say, why did he say he was quietly thinking about? Why didn't he just follow through and divorce? Like, why did, why did he look at Mary and say, come on, Mary. There's no way you can have a baby without a man. Come on, what you talking about, woman? There's no way. Why didn't he just pull away and say, this is crazy stuff. Something supernatural had to take place to change his mind. Because there's not a dude on earth would ever believe that story. There isn't. Something supernatural, God had to superintend. Something needed to take place in order for for Joseph to believe this crazy story that somehow Mary was pregnant and, and she had no relations with the man. And you know what it was? It was an angel. Joseph was asleep, and while he was sleeping, this angel visited him and said, Joseph, it's going to be okay. Your future wife is going to conceive a child, not by you, but by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says this. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 1. Look, look again. Look at the response. Matthew chapter 1. And he says this in verse 21. She will give birth to a son, Joseph, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Because he will what his people from their sins, what does it say? Save. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Read on. And then in verse 24, when Joseph, what? What's it said? Woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Something supernatural took place. An angel spoke to him while he was sleeping. And it says, he did what the angel commanded him. And he gave him the name Jesus. You know what the name Jesus means? God is my salvation. My wife and I, we we named our children as you name your children, and we wanted to name our children, we wanted to have names, and we could pray that they would become those names. Our firstborn, Josh, his name in Hebrew is Joshua, which is Yeshua, which is the same way that you say Jesus in Greek, which means God is my salvation. And so we prayed over his life that God would become his salvation. We prayed over our daughter Hannah, and that she has a significant name in Isaiah too. But the name Jesus means God is my salvation. The reality is Jesus is here to save us, his people, from their sins. We also must understand this word save. What's the word save mean? You do not save someone who needs a little bit of help. That's not saving somebody. You save someone who is unable to do anything to save themselves. We're unable, we're incapable of saving ourselves from the, the pathway and the consequences of sin, which is a life away from God and eternity in hell. We're incapable of saving ourselves. Sinful people can't do enough good. We can't remove our own sins. Jesus can only be the saving factor in our lives. A person who has stopped breathing needs saving. A person who's drowning in the middle of an ocean with no one nearby needs saving. The angel is saying that people are helplessly lost in their sins and they need a perfect savior to rescue them and, be, and a sacrifice for them. 
You cannot get to God because of our sin. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 1.18. Here's what he said. He says, though our sins are as scarlet or red, we shall be as white as snow because of Jesus. Let, let me show you what I mean. For a demonstration. We are sinful people. We have sin in our lives. And because sin hasn't been imputed to us through Adam, and sin is imputed down through men, every one of us have sin. And to represent us, this is us, and this is God. So the reality is this. You and I, us here, commit sins. Maybe it's slander. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe we've stolen. Maybe we broke the law. Maybe we cheated. Maybe we've committed adultery. Maybe we've, we've, we've wrapped our minds in pornography. Maybe we've, we've left our families and abandoned them. And so there's sins in our hearts. And so our lives are full of these sins. And so because of these sins in our hearts, we could never get to a perfect God. It's impossible because of the sin. There needs to be a remedy to our sin. Enter God, Jesus, the God-man. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteous. Enter God. God, would you enter and take care of my heart? So Jesus enters, God enters the picture, and what happens? He makes our hearts as white as snow. And only God, a perfect God, could do that. Not only that, but the Bible says that not only when Jesus was born, that he later went to the cross and took the sins of the world on his back. So not only did he do it individually for us, but he took all the sins of the world and he took them to the cross. And when he took them to the cross, guess what happened? All the sins of the world. He carried them and makes it possible to be as white as snow. Only a God son could do this. We can't do it on our own. It's impossible. We need Jesus. That's why he came at Christmas. And by the way, there is no human contingency attached to the saying, salvation is from the Lord only. Let me pull away. The reality is, you can't talk about his birth without talking about his death. You see, Jesus knew when he was going to be born that there would come a time in his life that he would die on the cross as a sacrifice for us. That's love. Most of us have no concept of that. But keep in mind, we can't stop at the cross either and say, well, Jesus took all of our sins on the cross. He carried them all on his back. And because he's a perfect sacrifice, okay, we can't stop at the cross. We got to go to the grave. And what happened at the grave? After the third day, Jesus rose from the what? As a living God. He overcame death. If he would have just taken our sins and stayed in the grave, then we would still be dead because he didn't overcome death. Jesus is alive. He died and now he's alive. No one else does that or could do that. I love 
watching Jesus change lives. I've been in the jungles of Cambodia. I've watched women. I've watched a woman who had never heard the name Jesus ever, Cambodian, sitting in this hut with her. I watched through a translator. I said the name Yesu Cree, and this woman asked, what did he say? And she said, he said Jesus Christ. She said, that's what I've been waiting for. I watched her give her life to Christ because she heard the name of Jesus Christ. I've been in Vietnam. We, we got on bikes in the morning. We were trying to look for planning of churches, and we're seeking out believers and trying to find people of peace. And one morning, we ran into this guy who was a believer, six years believing. His family was unsaved. And the next morning, he was going to come with us and take us to another village. He was late that day. And we found out the reason he was late was because he had a test, and not only did he have a test, his father was upset with him, and so his father beat him because he was a follower. He came to meet with us, he was in pain, and he made no big deal of it. And the reason he took that beating is because he refused to deny Jesus Christ. I've had the privilege of being an underground church in China and to preach to this group on this, on this campus. And I watched Chinese believers, we handed them Bibles, some for the first time, and I watched them weep openly. And I watched them sit in this room knowing that any moment authorities could come in and if they found them there with the Bible, they would be incarcerated for the rest of their lives. Why? Because they knew Jesus was real. I've been in Iraq and heard stories of, of families where ISIS came in and they refused to deny Christ. Husbands and sons were killed, but they refused to deny Christ and they fled to a bill. I've heard stories of Muslims who have been in bed at night and have had dreams and, and, and heard about this redeemer called Jesus and gave their lives to Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the only way to God. He's the only way. And his, he's still the only way. You see, if you go to Muhammad's tomb, his bones are there. Buddha has a shrine, and I've seen tons of them. But if you go to Jesus' tomb, he's not there. Go to Israel. And one of the things I've always been perplexed by, why can't we know for sure where was the tomb of our Christ? Now, we, we, we're certain kind of certain there's a place, but we're not really certain. Have you ever wondered why? Because when Jesus rose from the grave, he had no reason to go back to his tomb. So people didn't hang at the tomb and mourn. They celebrated. And you know, over time, it didn't matter where the tomb was. Why? Because he was living and alive, and he was with his Father in heaven. Here's what I know to be true. Jesus is alive, and Buddha is dead. Jesus is alive and Muhammad is dead. He beat death. You see, we all try to beat death, don't we? As we age, don't we try to beat death? We take vitamins and minerals and we exercise and we drink water and we eat broccoli. And we drink coconut water and we put on sunscreen. And, but the reality is this. You and I will die full of vitamins and minerals and even on a beach with sunscreen on the face with a bottle of water in our hand. We will die physical death. But when Jesus died, three days later, he resurrected himself. Why? Because he was God. No man can do that. Only God. Listen to me, all the, other, all the other founding religions had a weird guy who died and people miss him. 
They put up shrine houses. I'm telling you, I've seen thousands of them. They bring food to them. They bring cigarettes to them. They bring pineapples to them. They, they stand there and kneel. They drop money to them. And they miss them. Why? Listen to me. You know why they miss them? Because their God is dead. And you know what dead people do? Very little. Well, hear me. Our God's alive and well. And he beat death. And he was resurrected on that third day. And my Bible says this, that he's preparing a place for us in heaven to those that call him God. And meanwhile, my Bible says this, while he's holding the world together, he's sustaining us and he is our lifeline too. So why do we need Jesus? <laughs> because we're lost in our sins forever, forever and ever and ever. And we fall short of God because of it. And we need a redeemer whose name is Jesus, who can take all our sins and make them as white as snow. No one else could ever do that. No one else will ever be able to do that. And the only way we can get to God if we say, God, I trust in you only. See, here's what I know to be true. Many of you in this room are buried in your sin. Many of you are hopeless and don't know how you can go on. Many of you think you have done too much wrong to be rescued. Many of you are uncertain about life after death. Many of you are banking on being good. Many of you are here today for the first time and you realize you need Jesus. Listen, this could be the best Christmas ever. Best, period, Christmas, period, ever, exclamation point, ever. But listen, I can't do it for you. Your husband can't, your wife can't, your mom can't, your dad can't, your sibling can't, your friend can't. It's only done by you personally believing that God gave his son Jesus and if you repent of your sin and acknowledge that Jesus rose from the dead and he is alive and he is your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. Would you bow your heads with me? Please don't leave. I'm going to ask you something. Could you say today, Pastor Jim, I know with absolute certainty that I've trusted in the work of Jesus Christ alone. And I've received that free gift of salvation through Jesus. And I've repented of my sin. And I've asked Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of my life. And there is a moment in time when I did that. Listen, if you're struggling to find that moment, listen to me. 
don't go another day. Salvation is for you today. If you're here today and you think, boy, I just, I think I need to get cleaned up before I come to God. Oh, you're believing a lie from the enemy. If you're here today and you think you have too much sin, (laughs) Jesus took it all to the cross. If you're here today and you're thinking, if I, I need to get cleaned up, I need to do more good, you're believing a lie. Salvation is by grace through faith only. If that's you and you're saying, Pastor Jim, I want to make sure today, I, I don't want to go another day. I, I, I want to take home Jesus home like Dave Alcorn did. And I, boy, I don't, I don't want to miss out on another Christmas of missing the mark. The Bible says if we confess with our mouths, and I believe we confess through prayer. So if you want to acknowledge Jesus as the Lord and you want to make him the Lord and Savior of your life, would you pray this with me? It's a confession of what's happening in your heart, quietly in your heart. Say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I fall short of you because of my sin. I need help. I need rescued. I need saved. I repent of my sin. I'm sorry, God. I trust fully in the work of Jesus on the cross. And I surrender my will and my life to Jesus. And I accept this free and perfect and eternal gift of salvation through Jesus only. So here's what I know to be true. Listen, if you believe that, you don't have to keep doing that. Because once you trust in Christ sincerely, you are saved forever. So if you made that confession of faith today, I also think it's important that we say, yes, I did. And if you trusted in Christ today and you're sitting in the South Auditorium or you're sitting right here in front of me, would you do something for me? Just, just hold your hand up. Say, yeah, Pastor Jim, this is the day. Don't be afraid. Just hold up, straight up. This is the best decision you ever made. You're taking Jesus home this year. Come on, come on. Don't be afraid. This is where the enemy says, don't let, don't let my husband see. Don't let my wife see. Well, what will they think? They will celebrate. And God, we thank you that all over this auditorium in front of me are hands. God, that's why you sent Jesus Christmas. And these group of new believers, oh, the Spirit indwells them. Woo! It's the best Christmas ever. And God, help them to know as they walk this new journey that there's nothing they'll face alone. That you're standing at the finish line of everything they face. It's already walked through your hands and When things seem bleak, help them to turn to you. And I pray, God, in the days and weeks ahead that you would just, like, reveal yourself in fresh ways so they'll say, oh, yeah, there there he is. There's Jesus. There he is. And I pray, God, that you would empower them in an unusual way. And I pray that this would be the best year ever because their hearts are as white as snow. Would you stand with your head still bowed and your eyes closed and just stand with me a second in both auditoriums and
I want you to just look at me a second. On this tree behind me, we have these ornaments, which are, has the Christmas playlist. It's something that you can put on your tree each year. and It's a reminder, because I think it's important to remind ourselves of these stakes in the ground moments. And every year, you can bring it out and say, hey, December 2018, I brought Jesus home. It's also a coaster that you can put your coffee cup on, and every time you want a cup of coffee in the morning, it's a reminder that Jesus still saves souls. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27, near the end of the Bible, John is on this island, and he's, he's writing, and, 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 and the Spirit is taking him to these places. And then he goes to this place, and it says that in heaven, that there's this book called the Lamb's Book of Life. In Revelation 21, 27, it says, those who know him, those who have a personal relationship with Jesus, it says no impure thing, no sinful person can ever get into heaven unless their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so the Bible tells us there's this book in heaven that, that, that has our names. And every time we trust in him, a name has been entered. It's your name. And no one can ever take your name out of that book. Because Jesus is an eternal God. And when he grabs a hold of you, there is not a human being alive can ever pluck you from his hand. On this wall behind me, we have symbolically a wall. And we're going to ask you, just as a memorial, to come up and say, you know what? My name's in the Lamb's Book of Light with Michael Flatoff and Jeffrey Ferguson and Betty Schrock and Joe Sigers and Sandra Sigers and Steve and Cassidy and Christina and Justin and Leona and John from the first service who came in here lost in their sins, but they got the best Christmas ever now. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Here, here. Now, here's the hard part. We're going to sing. We're going to sing the song White Christmas, which is a favorite of ours. But listen, I want you to come. I saw your hands. This is the moment where it's like, oh, what would they think? I, I serve in Kid City. Like, holy cow, I went out on the Blitz last week, and I invited people here. You know what they're going to say? Praise God. So I'm going to ask you to come. I want you to come and write your name. And over in the South Auditorium, South Auditorium, Pastor Jordan is there. He, he's going to walk you from the South to the North. Listen, it'll be your best walk ever. Come over and sign your name and grab an ornament and let's sing together what Christ has done.